When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, putting the business back into lady business. It's taken away from us for far too long. On uh, today, we have the lovely Gina Hadley. She is co-founder of The Second Shift, Welcome, Gina. Thank you, JJ. It is a pleasure to be with you, as always. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm excited because Gina is, I mean, she can talk about many, many, many things. I'm going to, today she's going to talk about how you find a co-founder, what it means, what makes a successful partnership as a co-founder, and everything that goes along with it. But first, let's start like with the second shift. Tell us about the second shift and what it is. The second shift is a marketplace that my co-founder, Jenny Galuzzo, and I launched uh, about, gosh, now five years ago as a direct answer to the question, what happens for women when the full-time workplace is not an option? We had seen so many of our friends and colleagues, including ourselves, have this moment of reckoning when you either have moved across the country many times as I had, or you have young children, as both Jenny and I did, or in Jenny's case, she was an on-air reporter. She just couldn't show up at a fire in the Bronx at five o'clock in the morning anymore for television. What do you do when you want to keep working and the traditional workplace doesn't work for you? Our answer was you work on projects, you work freelance, you work part-time. And in 2016, that seemed like a really novel and new approach Now we are in a moment when businesses are understanding that probably freelance and fractional workforces will make up more of their um, talent than they had before. So we're feeling really great about that. And it's a way for us to keep all of our members, all of these extraordinary women working. Um, If and when they do decide to go back to work full time, they don't have this gap in their resume or it's their ability to just work as a consultant, make as much money as they possibly can in their area of expertise. Love it. And, um, but your membership is all women? Our membership is all women, all women who have demonstrated that they are the very best at what they do. So when we first started the second shift, it seemed like such a, 
crazy um, idea that you would have somebody come in and work on a project and come in and freelance for you as a traditional company. So we decided what we would do is just work with women who could just deploy immediately like this unbelievable gang of ninjas that we can just drop into any situation and they can take care of business. Right. All right. So tell us a little bit more about your background. Like, how did you get into this? Like, what led you to it? Other than obviously going back and forth, what you had explained earlier. Anyway, um, I, 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 we started the second shift as a direct result of me trying to have a freelance business. I, um, as you know, married a wonderful man who you went to college with. Um, (laughs) um, But he was given the opportunity to move to the West Coast in the 90s. And we were both in a really big advertising agency. And we moved to this shitty little town called Seattle in the 90s, which is nothing compared to Seattle today. And I had to blow up my career. And um, the second shift is a direct result of me trying to experiment with being a consultant, working freelance, having kids, moving back across the country for five, four times. I can't even remember anymore. And the idea that you, every time you move, you kind of destroy your network. You destroy your, your yeah. capability of keeping this job because yeah. we didn't have zoom and we didn't have slack and we didn't have all of these things that enable us to work remotely now. Um, the and it wasn't ROI, acceptable really, you know? No. Yeah. And the like way if, that if we were like in our homes, like, Oh, right. You were in a real office, right? That's not your like bedroom back there. Like oh, no, no, no. And sound upon. there is, always been a we've known as women who can multitask that we can do more things at more than one thing at a time but you had to be very quiet about it in corporate america you didn't let anybody know that you were on your way to the pediatrician's office or the gynecologist or to take care of your ailing parent or doing all of the other things that it takes to like run your life or run your family And I could, you know, at some point I could go on and on about the archetype of the office and it's only built for one person. That being said, for me, I wanted to be able to keep working. So Jenny and I built this as a direct result of us wanting to keep working. My background was in advertising. I had seen how beautifully on the creative side, freelancers come and go. There's no question about their career trajectory. There was no question about their Um, value or if they were um, a member of this culture at the agencies, they just came in, they did their work, they killed it and they left. And so that was where, that was the model that we used for the second shift. Okay. So let's start talking about how you and Jenny found each other. Jenny is your co-founder, obviously. Um, How did it all start? Where did you guys meet? Did you come up with this together? Jenny and I met um, in a very interesting, it, it, actually, it, it led to the creation of the second shift. She and her husband, um, her husband started a company called Flywheel, which many people know was an indoor cycling um, gym, boutique fitness. And when we had moved back to Seattle the second time, um, little personal aside, I have terrible arthritis. I've had my, I had my hip replaced when I was in my thirties. And so cycling was really, um, indoor cycling was a really important part of my rehab and my ability to keep active and keep moving, moving back to Seattle. There was nothing like soul cycle or flywheel. So I approached Jay and his business partner to say, you should open in Seattle. And they said, that's great. Want to help us do it. It was the idea of like, I knew how to 
build a brand. I knew people in Seattle. I could come in and deploy on something that I was really good at and be an expert in and help them open this business. The best benefit of all of this was meeting Jenny Galuzzo. And so Jenny and I met and we started having these conversations about how do you continue to work? And it was over the course of a summer, we were back um, on Long Island for the summer and Jenny and her family were on Long Island. We spent an enormous amount of time together um, because we fell deeply in love when we first met. And we realized that it wasn't just us that was having this problem. And I would give complete credit to Jenny for saying one day, we should do something about this. This is a business idea. right? And so when we first started, we are both I would call us, I'm a pragmatic optimist, whereas Jenny is a magical thinker, but she's also very good at list keeping and getting stuff done. So when we started, we started small. We started asking questions. We started on Excel sheets. We started interviewing potential business partners, employers that would employ these women. We started to talk to the women in our network and beyond about what they were interested in doing. And one of the things that I so value about our partnership is that we have always been extraordinarily good communicators with each other. And if something didn't feel right, I never felt the, um, I never felt pressure to put something on or continue with something because Jenny thought it was a good idea. And I, I think we, she has the same feeling about me. So we were very much in lockstep. And we started small and we started with our own money and we started asking questions that we wanted to know the answers to without being beholden to somebody else to spending their money. And that was actually a really big, I didn't realize until later on in our development, but that is a, a, was also a very big um, partnership moment for us that we were, we were both willing to put our own money up right. to start the business rather than going out and raising a ton of money which comes with so much um, expectation. And we built this business in a super healthy and financially viable way before we brought on other partners, we brought in employees. But for a while, it was just the two of us doing everything. And then, so how did you divvy up, you know, your responsibilities, right? Because that's the part of it. It's like, everybody can't do one thing. And those, you know, there's some details we have a- that nobody really wants to do, right? Well, you know, it's interesting because you and I both know founders that have, you know, this like founder complex that they think that if that that no one can do what they do and no one can run the business and no one can. I don't believe that. Um, I mean, my goal in life (laughs) is always to have somebody tell me what to do because the decision fatigue from having a business is so real. Um, But when we first started, it naturally it was really a natural progression. The business development side just fell to me because it was my, a lot of them were my contacts. I've been in branding. I've been in consulting. I hustled for so many years with my own consulting business. Jenny is um, a journalist by training. She's a, she likes to answer questions. She likes to get to the bottom of things. So for her bringing on the members, the interview process, the getting to know these women, what they wanted, creating the community around them was a a perfect role for her to have. So I'm not even, I can't even remember having a conversation where I said, I do this and you do this. It just kind of happened. And then we were lucky enough to bring on a third partner. Somehow we Jedi mind tricked our CFO to leave a very, very, um, 
great career in, in banking and come and work and take care of all of the money stuff that Jenny and I did not want to take care of. Yeah, that is one part of it, right? That a lot of people are like, I, I don't really want to do that because so many people want to be like, I want to be outward facing. I want to be outward facing. I want to be the face of the brand. And, you know, um, but that doesn't necessarily build a brand, right? And you got to build that scaffolding. You have to build the basics, you, you know, do an LLC agreement, hire a proper attorney behind before you're hiring a publicist, you know? Oh, and, and also figure out what your business is before yeah. you create a website or, you know, sink an enormous amount of mo- money into technology. That was I mean, I, <laughs> I built the first stupid website on Weebly. I feel like, I hope that you're sponsored by them. Um, but I put in all of our information and I did it all through because we wanted to be able to prove it. But then you realize really quickly, I cannot, I don't know why I cannot build a Venn diagram and always end up looking like genitalia. So like immediately we knew we had to get some designers involved. You know, it's also good to know what you're not great at. Right. And that you see the holes and where you should hire an expert. And luckily we have access to thousands of experts that are the very best at what they do. So when I need a graphic designer, I go to the second shift. When I need social media outreach, I go to the second shift. So we have this built-in stable of talent that helped us build our business without creating an enormous team. Um, That being said, we now have... I think there's eight full-time employees and we were really lucky that we built our business pragmatically and we didn't kind of overreach that we didn't have to um, lay anybody else, anybody off during this dumpster fire of the past 18 months. Um, So we were able to keep everybody on. And then, so what do you attribute? So you guys never had that like conversation. Then you bring on a third partner and it was very clear what her role was. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so how do you guys communicate? What's your day-to-day and in, in not keeping it all together as well as for your eight full-time people? Um, Jenny and I work really hard at it. I think one of the things that we gave our, we actually, this it's a great example. This year we gave ourselves, I gave everybody the gift of a professional coach. So one of our members who was actually a client before is this, launched a professional coaching business. And as soon as I got the email, I knew that it was fate telling me that I should do this. Um, and then I had her connect with Jenny so that they had their own thing going. And then just a couple of weeks ago, Jenny and I, as co-founders, did our own six-hour offsite. We took the time to recognize where we'd been in the past five years. We level set as to where we wanted to go. We created, um, I would say we were calling it like our North star of what the business, uh, what the business is looking towards. What is the thing that directs us at all time? But it is like any relationship. If you don't pay attention to it, um, things don't go as well as they should. And I'll, um, you know, Jenny and I will both say there was a period of time a couple of years ago when the business was cranking and we were bringing on new people. The two of us were not as connected as we should be. And we had to very, like very consciously say, this can't happen again. We need our hour walk. We need to go for our coffee. We need to connect. We need to connect on what we want from the business, how we can support the women that work for us, because we only have women working for us. Um, how You have to do all those things in partnership and then also realize that 
then we are prepared to go on into our own avenues because we have reconnected and made sure that we are on the same page as to what's going to happen with the company as a whole. Right. Okay. That, I mean, and that's amazing, right? You need to put that work in and you need to make sure that you're constantly um, feeding each other. And yeah. So when you're having these conversations, is it solely about business or do you mix in the personal? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, you know, this is, I I joke that Jenny is my non-sexual life partner. Like Jenny knows everything about my life. I know everything about Jenny's life in a way that because we were friends before we started the business, we have something to go back to. I genuinely Everyone that works with us, I genuinely enjoy their company. There's nobody that drives me insane, which I feel so lucky about. There's right. nobody that I think I can't sit, I couldn't sit next to on a cross country flight. And there are moments, the thing that's also been really interesting with having a partner who's also a very good friend is being able to also unplug. Like when we go on vacation or as somebody takes some time off, I think you have to set ground rules. Please don't check your Slack take your time. You don't need to check in with me. I've got this. Like feeling supported by your team or your co-founder that you know that if you need to step back, everything is good because nothing is non-communicated. And that's, I think one of the other things I'm getting to is over-communication for us is key. Right, right. Over-communication. And we use all of the communicating tools. We use Slack internally. We use email externally. Like we have our Zoom meetings, all of that. But even more than just that, it's the idea of picking up the phone and having the 15 minute phone call because we are all just like we're all in different places right now, which is strange when you're used to working alongside somebody all the time. Yeah. Okay. so what about the third co-founder that you you guys didn't know so well, right? So I wonder, I think that it's it's also important to designate that Jenny and I are co-founders and Kemp is our third partner. Okay, And I think that that actually really helps because we have this origin story about how we started the business and we brought in a third partner to make it more robust. But there is something between Jenny and I being co-founders that that and it's locked. It's just and I'm always amazed when we get requests from founders who are looking for a co-founder, which I, I get in some ways, but I don't know how you, um, how you generate that by interviewing people. It's very interesting to me. I know it works, yeah. Yeah. but it's not how, how we built our business. Have you ever looked at, like, you, you can just Google it, like 30 questions to ask a co-founder? No, because I've asked a th- eight thousand questions from my co-founder, and I know the answers to all of I know, them. So, yeah, but, so there are there are these lists, and I yeah. I get you know people asking me all the time, like, do you know somebody who could be my co-founder? And you know, or they meet somebody and they think, and I'm like, you need to fill out this list because I didn't even do that when I had co-founders. Like, uh, you know, yeah. and it's like it's really important to really define those roles and to understand like. Like you said, level set what you guys want the North Star of the company to be. Some people are fine with it being a $10 million company and others want it to be a $100 million company. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. And one of the things that I, I love of somebody, one of our investors said, just because you put it in Excel doesn't make it so. Right. Like, just because you want something doesn't mean it's going to happen. And I think for us in 
our business is hard to forecast um, because there are there are so many different variables around employers and engagements and the projects that we do and our members. Um, knock on wood, we've always been able to kind of keep ahead of of the forecast. But there's that's the other part of it as well. Do you have a co-founder? Do you have partners that are going to be okay when things go sideways? When things don't turn out the way that you think that they're going to? Are people going to panic? Are people going to jump ship? Um, and I will say working with a coach who was able to, for Jenny and I, like she asks the same questions of both of us and helps us with these exercises on concurrent paths that we can come back to each other and know that we have answered some of those hard questions on our own in the privacy of our own sessions, but feel confident that we can bring things up with each other when things are going a little haywire. Right. Right. But, you know, ultimately, too, you have to do paperwork, right? You have to do an operating agreement if it's an LLC. Yeah. And we did that a while ago. We did all of that stuff very early on and we hired the right lawyers and we talked to a lot of people. And it is, I think, I mean, you articulate this better than anybody. All of this stuff that women find yucky about business. I don't want to talk about money. Like, that's what it all comes down to. I'm not running a not-for-profit. Yeah. I do not do this because I couldn't decide whether to like join a tennis team or start a business. This is real. Yeah. Like we have thousands of women counting on us and millions of dollars in potential revenue. So Jenny and I and Kemp as well, and all of our employees, we all need to know where we start from. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that process though, because I, um, so you, did you, you each had your own attorney? Um, we did not each have our own attorney because we are <laughs> trusting and naive. Yeah. Um, and it was so early when we started it and it was all our own money. Yeah. And so when we started, because Jenny and I put checks in at the same level every time, it was a 50-50 ownership. Once we got to the point where we were bringing in other partners and we did raise like a very small I guess in the olden days, they would have called it a C, but now it's like a pre-seed because it was only a couple of million dollars. Um, that's what like avocado to- seeds. And I, I don't even, I think it would be favorite. small. I think like it would be like a Clementine seed at this point. Um, <laughs> but that's when we got, that's when we had attorneys um, get involved and really kind of walk us through what everything meant and dilution, like what a dilution schedule was and you know, I put it in my brain somewhere, all of this information, but it's not, um, that to me is not what gets us to the goal line. So I keep it in a filing cabinet back there and I access it when I need to, but for me, yeah, but I think people who are co-founders, they don't realize that like you you do these operating agreements and oftentimes you have your own attorney and the company has an attorney that drafts it. And, you know, there's provisions in there. Like, what if you get divorced? Like, yeah. does your husband get the business part of the business? Or, you know, there's things like that that are real decisions that should be made and need to be made. And you guys have the benefit of being really close and could talk about these things and knew a lot about your personal situations, which is not always the case, right? Yeah. Um, but those are real things that happen with an, with an attorney and you pay them. And that's how they should because... All of these legal agreements exist solely for when things go bad. You're not looking at, like you said, you're not looking at them when they're going great, you know? Well, and I think what you said is so important. These are the frameworks upon which we build a business. Right. Um, It's the idea also, um, 
that there are things that you have to do in order to get a result. And many times I think there is the excitement and the euphoria of having the idea and starting the business, but it doesn't happen until, you know, you square away all of this portion of it because you, we've all seen what happens when the paperwork is not in order. Right. Um, the yeah. other thing that I think is interesting about having a co-founder and we were talking about like the, when you were said before the face of the business and being the outward um, representative Neither Jenny or I, and I say this um, knowing it sounds crazy, we're not really ego-driven, neither of us. It's all in service of the business. So if I have to speak at a conference or I have to go do something, I'm happy to in service of the business. But that was what was super interesting in the past 24 months that we've watched so many founders be literally beheaded because they were the outward face of their brand. And we saw what happened, especially with female founders, that we were held to a standard that our male counterparts who have screwed up many, many times over and still been handed the keys to the kingdom. So Jenny and I were really grateful that neither of us had seen this as a play for um, that our personal brand had outshined what the business was. Right. Um, and that for me is also something to talk about with your co-founder or with your yeah. team as you're building something like what is the brand? Is the brand, you know, Mary Joe or is the brand Acme slipper company? So those are the ideas. Yeah. If it's Mary Joe and Mary Joe screws up in some tremendous way and gets canceled, as we've seen happen, what happens to Acme Slipper Company? Exactly. No, yeah. I know that's um, it's a big like I, you know, you think about the female founded companies that are really big and exited like Figs, right? No one knew who those two co-founders are. If you follow on Instagram, they have four thousand followers each. And Good for them. They like brought in money at a hundred million dollar valuation a while ago. And they had an IPO. Yeah. And, you know, they just, they, their business was their main focus, right? Instead of like worrying so much about their personal brand that, that as a marketing tool for the brand. Because um, it can go haywire. It can really yeah. backfire on you. It all, um, get distractions. And I think it all can also cause rifts if you have co-founders, like who's going to be that person, you know? Oh, I, I completely agree. I feel like we... We've dodged a bullet because there were so many times when people, we would bring in consultants and they would say to Jenny and I, like, you need to amp your personal brand. You need to spend more time on social, all of this kind of stuff. And it's so antithetically opposed to who I am as a human being. And also I have teenage children. They're having none of this. Um, and I am not, it, that's not in service of the business. As far as I'm concerned, I'll take a picture of the coffee shop. If I'm going to speak at a conference and I'm so proud to be there and you can see where I am, yeah. but the idea that you having a view into my life, like I'm not building a consumer brand, what I'm building doesn't have to do with my aesthetic and all of these things. It just has to do with what we believe is imperative. And that if you empower women, if you give women power over their career journey, extraordinary things happen. Right. And so I'm not sure how me as a personal brand is going to help that business or convince employers, partner employers or big companies to work with us. Okay. No, exactly. Um, this is awesome. Uh, well, look, I know that you have many things to do today. <laughs> 
So instead of just talking to me. Oh, JJ, I would just talk to you all the time. I'd be so happy. No, if we just have a drink now too. Gina and I are also co-investors in a female founded company called Yola Mescal. So which is so magical and everyone should drink it because it just (laughs) makes the evening so much more bearable. I know, right? (laughs) Um, And uh, so I just have a few more questions. So like, what would your advice be if you were telling founders who are looking for a co-founder? I know people ask you all the time. um, What would you tell them? I would ask, what do you need from this co-founder? Are you looking for an expertise gap? Are you looking for somebody to support you and to be in a true partnership? Or is it the idea that you want to divide the work somehow. What are the criteria that that founder has to meet? Right. Um, I also think that there are different kinds of founders. I'm lucky enough to be madly in love with my founder. I don't think that that necessarily has to happen. I think that you no. can have a co-founder that is extremely professional and cordial and lovely relationship where you're not like all mushy into each other's lives. Right. Um, I also would make sure when you speak to a, when you're interviewing or asking those questions, what is your definition of success? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because so you can some have some kind of grand dream about what your exit needs to be. I'm not really sure how you're ever able to forecast an exit because that stuff seems so arbitrary to me. But what are your, as we keep talking about your North Star, what does success mean to you? What does the, t- the six month, 12 month, 18, because this is the framework that we keep coming back to. These are the pillars upon which you build a relationship so that you know that you're both on the same page. And then the other thing is, what's your management style like? How do you, how do you, how do you want to manage people? Is, are you happy giving people enough rope to hang themselves? Are you the kind of person that needs everybody in the office? I need to know where everybody is. I need everyone to be on Slack all the time. Like those are really important things because if they come up against each other, you can many times we've seen it, people feel like their co-founder isn't doing enough. Where are they or what's going on? And why don't I know what's going on? If you are the kind of person who needs that kind of check-in, then you better make sure that your co-founder is somebody that is okay doing that with you. Cause otherwise um, there can be an enormous amount. We've seen, I've seen so many partnerships break up because of that kind of resentment. Yeah. That's so true. I know. And it, and it is that it's resentment. It's like, okay, well, yeah. I'm doing all of the work and yeah. yeah exactly. And one of the other things that I've learned um, in doing my own ex- internal work on what it is to be a founder and a leader and what I want is sometimes you can feel like this is happening to you. Oh my God, why the business and this? You also have to remember you chose to do this. Yeah. You chose to start a business. Right. This is right. not something that was put upon you. This is a, a gift. This is um, something that you're lucky enough to be doing. And to just reframe it that way, many times I think that it gives you a different perspective and you're so you're able to see the world and the choices that your partners and your co-founders are making in, it's not so much about you anymore. Cause I have definitely had those like, Oh, everything is so miserable. I can't like at the beginning of this whole pandemic, why is this happening to me? How, why is this yeah. happening? Like, Oh shit. I started this business. I did this to myself. Exactly. And it's a gift. I did it so yeah. that I could build something and try to change the world in, a, yeah. in my small 
little way. And I was lucky enough to find somebody who wanted to do it with me. And so that's the other thing is this is not happening to you. Yeah. You did it. Exactly. Good. Well, that's a great piece of advice and something to think of. I always like to end this, however, with women telling me the worst piece of advice they ever got from men. You need to focus on KPIs and OKRs and you need to have a spreadsheet and you need everybody to report in all the time and you need to act like a founder and a CEO and everybody needs to toe the line. And I did that for like 20 minutes and then, well, actually I did it for a little bit longer and I made everybody around me insane. And I realized I wasn't building a business that was authentic to me. I was building one in the model of the archetype of the guy that needs that kind of reporting. And that is not who we are. Right. Exactly. Eastern end of Long Island, August, Wi-Fi. It's like you get a half an hour. I hope that's all you get out here. Um, Also, because all the teenagers are upstairs playing Xbox, which is yet another thing that you deal with when you are a female founder with teenagers. Of course. Or children in general, like mine. In general. My attention. Yeah. Um, Be true to yourself. Don't try to model yourself off of anybody else. Because when I tried to do that, um, I realized that I don't want your advice. You actually are. When I took to her, what you told me, I almost ruined my business and my partnership. Well, I have to, you know, when I, when you think about advice, it's like, have they ever been in my exact shoes? Like maybe not exact, but have they ever been a woman doing business? And if they haven't, then they have no idea what it's like to be a woman doing business, which hence is why lady business used to refer to, you know, feminine washes and, you know, tampons. (laughs) So anyway, speaking of, thank you for listening to this, you know, uh, today's taking care of lady business with Gina Hadley in the second shift. If people want to find you, how do they do that? Um, you can follow the second shift on Instagram or LinkedIn. Uh, our website is the second Um, Jenny, who runs all of our social, my lovely, wonderful co-founder does a great job of communicating what we're up to, what we believe in. We actually just got, um, we're part of a joint statement with the White House on the CARE Act, which was super cool. So we're going to be doing some content around that. Um, just all those silly social channels. They're right. out there. Um, well, don't expect there, to there see could anything be some about the business if you yeah. come to my Instagram account because it'll... Yeah. Literally, I don't that you're not going to see anything. Well, look, you know, there's ladies who might want to join, right? They might, might, might want. There be- are and professional yeah. women out there who are trying to figure out a way to continue to keep yeah. working. I'm telling you, at this moment, we are just one moment about the about where we are. We are in a talent crisis, and the Great Resignation is not just a tagline. And everyone is rethinking their relationship with work and their employer. And for the first time in history, I think employees are going to have the upper hand and we are going, there is no reason why we should have gone through this dumpster fire of the past 18 months to not rework everything or to go back to the way things were before. So we are always looking for members um, and you can go to the secondshift.com and apply for membership. Amazing. Well, you heard it first. Employees are going to have the upper hand. Let's hope so. Nina Hadley, everyone listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, tell us what else you want to hear. Until then, I'm Jennifer Justice.